Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we want you to get over here for a couple of movie reviews to start the show, including Mortal Kombat. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review the new Tom Clancy movie, Without Remorse, starring Michael B. Jordan, and we'll take a horrified look back at this year's Oscars. There's also a big show that's returned this week, a new show with some amazing comedy pedigree, and a new show starting next week that looks super. But first, we're heading into the Ryanverse with Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, a new film out this weekend on Amazon Prime Video. These were foreign attacks on U.S. soil. We have to respond. I'm going to make it right. There's something inside of me that I can't turn off. A part of me that won't stop for anything. No remorse. Has it occurred to you that perhaps John Kelly has done something we can't? Without Remorse stars Michael B. Jordan introduces John Kelly, a Navy SEAL who's about to go on a revenge mission. The movie was supposed to be a theatrical release from Paramount, but because of the pandemic, it was instead bought up by Amazon, and here we are. A shame it won't be in theaters, but pretty sweet if you have Amazon Prime Video. We meet John Kelly, his SEAL team, his family and friends, and then tragedy strikes. He's almost killed in an assassination attempt, while some of his people are definitely killed, and so the movie is about him trying to get revenge like John Wick. He's also good with a gun like John Wick. In fact, his aim is probably a little too good. But unlike John Wick, he's not entirely sure who he has to kill. There's not a lot of mystery in the John Wick movies. He knows who he has to go get, and he goes and gets him. John Kelly has to figure it all out figure out what's what, who's who, and that's where the real Tom Clancy of it all comes in. The CIA and double crosses and information gathering and all that good stuff. It's not quite as bureaucratic as some of the Jack Ryan shows or movies are, but there is some of that international intrigue, which I just love. I watched the Jack Ryan show early in the pandemic. It's awesome, by the way. So I was excited for this movie. Now, like I said, the movie's a little more militaristic, but it's definitely a step above a straight military action movie like Netflix's Outside the Wire that came out a couple of months back. This, I think, is decidedly better. Michael B. Jordan is solid, of course. You would expect that because he's always solid. When he was a kid, he played young Wallace on The Wire, and what happens to Wallace on The Wire is one of many very tragic things to happen on that show. So whenever I see Michael B. Jordan in a movie, I'm just so happy for him because I was so sad about Wallace 15 years ago. It makes no sense, I know, yet there it is. Um, We're used to seeing Jordan as a big beefy guy, of course, from the Creed movies and Black Panther, but I think he might be even bigger in this movie. He's just jacked, and he takes a few good beatings and some other physical trauma. It hurts to watch a few times because he's pretty banged up, and you can feel it. Sometimes I almost wonder if modern action movies... Take it too far when it comes to how much a person can take or even dish out for that matter. Movies like The Mission Impossibles, The Fast and Furiouses, The John Wicks, like I talked about. It's just ridiculous sometimes. I mean, I know they have to compete with superhero movies. That's probably part of it, but 
This doesn't quite go off the rails, but it does seem like it comes close. And of course, on the other hand, you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger had a lot of pretty ridiculous movies in the 80s, so maybe it's always been like that. As a straight action thriller, it's a lot of fun, a pretty good ride, better than I was expecting, frankly. As for the Ryanverse stuff, this movie is not at all like the book, apparently. If you're a big fan of the book, you might be disappointed. They changed almost everything but the name. Some of it, of course, they would have to change because the book came out in 93 and was about a Vietnam vet, so they had to modernize it. And that might upset some of the Clancy purists. Um, I'll also point out, though, that Taylor Sheridan is the co-writer on the movie, and he's a good writer, so rest easy on that front. Although I was a little surprised at some clunkiness here and there, not with the exposition of the plot, but rather with some of the modern-day political issues they tried to include. I'm glad they included them. They gave a little more depth to both the good guys and the bad guys at times, but it also kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in spots. I like world-building in different cinematic universes, especially if they're relatively simple like this one. And since they are working on a sequel already, I do wonder if we might see some crossover, although I don't know who in this world would be the Jack Ryan. John Krasinski played him in that TV show, which is also on Amazon. But, I mean, Chris Pine, I think, was the last guy to play him in a movie. So maybe they go with one of those two guys. Maybe they get their own guy, if they even get a Jack Ryan into this franchise. You don't need to know any of that Ryan stuff, verse, Ryan verse stuff, though, to enjoy without remorse. If you're looking for an action thriller, I'd say it's definitely worth checking out. It's at 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't great, but I'm giving it three and a half couch cushions out of five, Brett couple of things you mentioned the punishment that these action stars take oh, in these movies yeah. i don't know if you saw it but honest trailers the screen junkies they did their, their latest honest trailer this week was john wick chapters two and three and okay. they pointed out that very thing they said does john wick have an immunity to getting hit by cars and then they <laughs> there was a montage of him getting run over by cars at least four if not five times in a row and uh, they just let it carried it on from there. But yeah, that that that's a good point. Some of the uh, some of the beatings these guys take, I know they're trained to take pain, and I know that the adrenaline is flowing. But come on, uh, but it's also an action movie, so sometimes yep. you just gotta just gotta let it go. And yeah, Taylor, Do not Sh- don't try this at home, kids. That's the lesson here. <laughs> and Taylor Sheridan, anything he does, uh, you got to pay attention. He, he did those movies, uh, Sicario, Hell or High Water, Wind River, all excellent movies. And he's the co-creator of Yellowstone, yeah. which by all accounts is an amazing show. Did it you, st- did you finish that? You started no, watching I'm, it, didn't I'm, you? I'm halfway through season two. I've, Took a couple months off there, but I just started watching again last week. I got to finish it. Yeah, because I think season four is coming this year, if I understand correctly. Somebody said that to me. Uh, I'm just pulling that up right now off the top of my head. Uh, fourth season. Oh, they renewed it for a fourth season, but uh, it doesn't look like any word yet as to whether or not or when it's coming out. It'll come when Kevin Costner is good and ready. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Three seasons in the bag. Maybe a fourth season coming soon. Also, just want to point out on the movie front, there is another new movie out this weekend. That one's on Prime. This one, a scary movie, is on Netflix. It's called Things Heard and Seen, starring Amanda Seyfried. My wife doesn't know what happened here. I think it would be better if we kept it that way. Everything in the natural world has a counterpart in the spiritual realm. Also inconsequential. I say death is only the beginning. My wife is the true believer of the family. You do not want to get us started on all that stuff. (laughs) 
A Manhattan couple moves to a historic hamlet in the Hudson Valley and come to discover that their marriage has a sinister darkness, one that rivals their new home's history. Based on the acclaimed novel All Things Cease to Appear by Elizabeth Brundage, 32% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't know. I was curious about this, but maybe not so much now. Co-stars Karen Allen, a.k.a. Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Rhea Seahorn, Kim from Better Call Saul, so... That alone makes me curious because she is a wonderful actor. So that's new on Netflix this week. That's my movie preview. As for my movie review, last weekend I rented Mortal Kombat. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. Get over here! That's right, Mortal Kombat, the latest film adaptation based on the violent video game series that started in the 90s. The original movie from the 90s scaled down the violence, but this one is rated R doesn't really matter what the story is about. I mean, bad guys want to invade from another dimension. The champions of Earth must stop them with their fists. If you're watching it, it's because you like Mortal Kombat and you like violence. And if you don't like violence, then stay far, far away. So this one is a premium rental for 25 bucks. And I was super excited for this. I loved the video game. I loved the, that original movie, even though it was dumb. But when I saw its review rating, 55%, I thought, ah, oh, that's not great. I had such high hopes. And sadly, as it turns out, I will say the movie's not great, but it's not bad. I still had fun. I actually even watched it twice. I rented it on Friday, watched it Friday night. And since you get it for 48 hours, I figured might as well watch it again. Uh, the first Mortal Kombat movie from the 90s, it was fun, but it was really silly. This one was also fun. But I was hoping it wouldn't be quite as silly, but it more or less is. But it kind of masquerades itself as a movie taking itself more seriously at times. And I should add the caveat, like, what do I expect from a movie based on a video game? They're always terrible. But uh, I don't know. That looked like they were looked like they were going to nail this one. It's also not as violent as I thought it would be. Like, I thought there would be more fights. I thought there would be more blood. When there is blood, it is impressive and cartoonish. But uh, it just wasn't enough for me. I wanted to see more fatalities. There were some genuine amazing moments, though. There was, including part of the climactic fight, there's a big reveal. And even though that reveal is kind of hinted at in, in the trailer, it still made me actually throw my arms in the air and cheer. I was so, so excited. I felt like I was a teenager all, all over again. Overall, though, it's just okay. I think they could have either just done sort of a silly, fun, campy throwback to the 90s kind of movie, or they could have taken it more seriously, really seriously, and tried to tell a legitimate story. Instead, I think they tried to do both, all while shoehorning in several callbacks to the game, which often were just ridiculously forced. It was fun. It's a video game movie. It's Mortal Kombat. I wasn't expecting an Academy Award winner, but still a little disappointed. Three couch cushions out of five 
for Mortal Kombat. Speaking of the Academy Awards, Jeff's got a debrief. That's next on The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the Oscars have come and gone once again. Let's take a look back at what was a truly unique ceremony this year. And the Academy Award for actor goes to Anthony Hopkins, The Father. The Academy congratulates Anthony Hopkins and accepts the Oscar on his behalf. Thank you. And with that, the Oscars limped off into the night. That's Joaquin Phoenix handing out the final award of Oscar night to Anthony Hopkins, who wasn't there. There are several things wrong with this scenario that pretty much sum up what was arguably the worst Oscars show of all time. For one thing, Joaquin Phoenix sucks at this stuff. I know he won last year, but he clearly hates doing it. Don't ask him to do it. He will show up if you do because he's decent like that or fears reprisal or whatever, but it's bad TV. Hollywood has dozens and dozens of charming options. Use them. Number two, Hopkins was in Britain, but they wouldn't let him zoom in to accept his award. That's dumb. He's an old man and we're in a pandemic. Why would you try to make him travel even to the London satellite location they were using? He was in Wales, in rural Wales on his estate. Um, number three, the show ends on a still photo of Hannibal Lecter and just peters out. Not exactly a thrilling conclusion. Apparently, Olivia Coleman was going to accept the award on Hopkins' behalf, but Phoenix just accepted it in his muffled, murmury way, and that was it. Again, why is Joaquin Phoenix even there? And number four, they were banking on a result that didn't happen, and that's a bad way to do things for exactly this reason. They thought Chadwick Boseman would win, and the show would end with a tribute to him, I guess. I mean, even if he had one, is it not bittersweet at best because he's passed away? I really don't get the logic there. I assume his wife would have accepted it and not Joaquin Phoenix, but it's a weird gamble for the end of their big show. But it happened in a Captain Bizarre show that featured time limitless acceptance speeches, barely any clips to even let you know that this was Hollywood's biggest night, and Glenn Close both uh, shaking her booty and losing for a record-tying eighth time. It was bad, especially the first hour. After that, I don't know that it actually got better or if I just accepted uh, what was happening and went with it. I will also accept the fact that I'm maybe not a typical Oscars viewer. I love the clips. I love the montages and I don't really like the speeches. I look at my phone when people start making their speeches. Now, I would also surmise that when people say they like the speeches, they really just mean they like the actor speeches. Like, why would anyone care what the people who make short films say? No one knows who they are. The actors only account for four of the two dozen speeches, so I don't get why the speeches are that important to some people. Not showing clips, though, I just don't get that. I don't know if it was to save time, show went long anyways, or if it was intentional to make those who hadn't seen the movies feel not welcome. It just seems like a bad decision, and the bad show got really bad ratings. It was down more than 50% from last year, which was the lowest rated year until then. 10.4 million Americans watched a few years ago. They were routinely bringing in more than 30 million viewers. I will say this in its defense. It was a good year to take some wild swings. They knew the numbers would be way down because every award show has suffered during the pandemic. So if they wanted to experiment with category placement and no clock on the speeches, this was the year to do it. As much as people are complaining about it, the Academy will have picked up a lot of valuable research and lessons from this one. And some decisions were good, like putting the song performances in the pregame show. That's a move I hope sticks. It saves a lot of time in the regular show and also breaks up the pregame nicely. And some of the longer speeches did pay off with Daniel Kaluuya and Yujung Yoon, the actors. Regina King uh, was pretty good at the beginning. I think she could actually host this and 
at any rate, they do need to bring a host back. And Questlove doing the music was good, too. And then, of course, the big winner, as expected, was Nomadland winning Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress. A third trophy for Frances McDormand. She's now tied with Catherine Hepburns for most wins in that category. Brett, that's my notes on the Oscars. What did you think? I I thought the location was neat. The fact that it was in Union Station, I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, I kind of laughed at Regina King's notion at the beginning. She was yeah, she was talking about it's the pandemic and we've all had to be separate. But it, it's movies that kept us connected. And in a normal year, I would agree with that. But if you were to do a survey, just North Americans alone, it's a safe bet to suggest that most of us have not seen most of these movies that many of us haven't even heard of these movies. So it's not movies yeah. that kept us connected this year. And that's one of the reasons why the ratings are so low, because nobody knows what these movies are. I'm sure they're excellent films. They always are, but I haven't seen any of them. And I'm one of the couch potatoes. So it's because I'm too busy watching <laughs> garbage like Mortal Kombat. And up next, <laughs> I want to tell you about a couple of shows that debut this week and a big one that debuts Next week, you are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We just talked about movies. Now we want to talk about some TV shows that are coming your way. In fact, two of them are already here. One of them debuts next week. A new show starring Ed Helms, Andy from The Office, debuted on Showcase on Thursday. It's from the creator of The Good Place and Parks and Recreation, both excellent comedies on NBC. Michael Shore is that man's name, and this show is called Rutherford Falls. Nathan, I'm calling to request a response to Mayor Chisenhall's decision to move Big Larry. I'm sorry, what? The problem is not Big Larry. It's the road. The fifth time someone's crashed into that statue, it's a public safety issue. It's history, Deirdre. You can't change history unless you have a time machine. And you don't, because if you did, you'd go back and tell yourself not to buy that blazer. <laughs> it's about a small town in northeastern U.S. and the indigenous reservation at borders, and everything is turned upside down when local legend and town namesake Nathan Rutherford, played by Helms, fights back against moving the historical statue. We focus on the problems that are actually important. Big Larry's important. More important than the opioid crisis. Apples and oranges, Carla. Michael Schur has proven he is nothing short of brilliant with comedy, so this might be worth checking out. So much drama. Bud, let's uh, leave them more. Okay, no, but I'm not done telling these people why they're wrong and stupid. <laughs> this is why it's not worth being friends with white people. No. That was Canadian actor Michael Gray Eyes at the end, by the way. He's been in lots of stuff. For me, most notably, he had a big part in Fear of the Walking Dead back in 2017. He was excellent in that. Rutherford Falls airs Thursdays on Showcase. Its origin platform is the Peacock streaming service in the States. Two episodes aired on Thursday, so you should be able to get those on demand if you miss them or just through the global TV app. But yeah, Ed Helms, Michael Schur, the creator. Is this something that interests you, Jeff Braun? It does indeed, and uh, i got to look into watching it on one of those. I think I got the Global TV app, actually, on my little Fire Stick thingy I bought this week, so I'll have to definitely check that out. Yeah, uh, Michael Schur is, he knows comedy. He's, uh, he's the best at it out there right now. Also this week, season four has debuted for The Handmaid's Tale. Freedom agrees with you. We are not free. You have destroyed my life, my family, my friends, my country, and my child. 
for justice. So the show airs on Wednesdays. The first two episodes debuted this past Wednesday. It airs on CTV Drama Channel. That's the former Bravo channel. It's also available on Crave. The Handmaid's Tale is based on the legendary book from Canadian author Margaret Atwood. It's set in Gilead, a a dictatorship that used to be part of the U.S., ruled by a fundamentalist regime that treats women as property. And due to environmental disasters, the birth rate is dropping, so the ones who can still have kids are forced into sexual servitude and are forced to bear children. The first season was brilliant. It won tons of awards. It was amazing. Elizabeth Moss plays the main character, June, or as she's known in Gilead, Offred. Season two was new ground for The Handmaid's Tale because season one was based on the book and ended with the end of the book. So they just wrote a new story for season two, and then they did a third season, and now here we are with a fourth season. I did love that first season, but it was hard to watch. And I think part of the reason why I was able to push through it was because I knew an end was coming. So I knew this was going to be a tough show to watch, but it's going to end. But then they went ahead and ordered another season. And by the time season two rolled around, I just wasn't in the mood. I watched a couple of episodes and thought, I don't know how much of this misery I can take. But by all accounts, it was still pretty good. Um, Jeff, how far did you get with The Handmaid's I watched till I watched the first two seasons, and the end of the second season was... I'm not going to say real. it was dumb, but it was the thing where it's like, oh, you know, you could have resolved some stuff here, but instead, clearly, you, you're like, oh, we need, you know, story for season three, so we're not going to. And it was just, that was a little off-putting, and it was also just such a, it's such a downer watching it that I was just like, uh, I couldn't get, bring myself up to watch it in third season. Yeah, like, I think the story is great, and, and uh, it was, I think, part of the reason why it, it's so good and so impactful is because it, it is so hard to watch. You feel so badly for these women who are being treated like like slaves, who are slaves for these monsters. It's just, and, and it's it's also hard because you know that even though this particular specific story is just fiction, stuff like this could happen. Stuff like this does happen around the world. People oh. are, are capable of horrendous atrocity. Yeah. It feels like society is like, you know, three bad decisions away from this actually happening. So Yeah. It's, yeah, for sure. So that's why it was so good. Uh, I have always kind of meant to go back and, and re-watch these or at least pick up again from season two. Of course, in the promos for the fourth season, they've cherry-picked some reviews that say it's the best one yet. It's the best season yet. But looking at Rotten Tomatoes, when I checked, it's at 56% with this summary. Elizabeth Moss is better than ever, but scattershot plotting and an overbearing sense of doom may prove too grim for some viewers to really enjoy. The Handmaid's Tale fourth season... I thought season two was too grim. <laughs> so if they're saying that this has an overbearing sense of doom that could be too grim, I can't imagine it being more miserable than what I did watch on season two. So I sort of want to watch the very last episode, which presumably might be happier. Like the very last episode of the series when it's done? Of the series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll well. tune in for that. <laughs> Oh, by the way, you can also watch this all on Crave if you want to get caught up in that. So since it's there, I just might check it out. And next week on Netflix, you could call this Netflix's answer to Amazon Prime's The Boys. It's 
their new superhero show for a more mature audience. It's called Jupiter's Legacy. Don't you remember the island? And what we had to do to earn these powers. 90 years. 90 years, and what do we have to show for it? Described as follows, no legacy lives forever. The first generation of superheroes have kept the world safe for nearly a century. Now their children must continue their legendary ideals. From the mind of Mark Miller, Jupiter's Legacy, streaming only on Netflix May 7th, 2021. I have watched most of it because of the the preview access that Netflix has granted us, but can't tell you about it yet. We are embargoed, so all I can tell you is that if you watch the trailer, you can sort of figure out what's happening here. It's clear that there is a mystery as to how they gained their powers. They went off on some expedition somewhere. You can see them walking into this mysterious place, and then they are bestowed with superpowers that also clearly make them uh, not immortal, but they age much slower because Josh Duhamel, as he mentioned, uh, he leads the cast. He's mentioned 90 years of being superheroes. Mark Miller is behind stuff, by the way, like Kick-Ass. I don't know if you remember those two movies, uh, the Kingsman movies. He likes subverting the superhero genre to use it to talk about different themes, in this case, the American ideal. And he also tends to aim his stuff at a more mature audience. Like the kick-ass comics, when they came out, they were viciously violent. It, like I, I read the first comic, and I think after I saw the first movie, and then uh, when the second series came out, I read that, and there were some things in that that made me stop and go, wow, this is violent and they they was so violent that they couldn't even put it in the movie and the, the movie was still crazy violent so but yeah he 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 likes to take these chances and and anyway i <laughs> all i can say is i can't wait to tell you more next week it used to be that you protect your country they call you a hero the world is changing I guess we're going to have to change with it. I don't know whether I can do this anymore. If you do the right thing, somebody dies. You do the wrong thing, somebody dies. And I will just add this, whether it's Jupiter's Legacy, whether it's Invincible on Prime, that's the cartoon, or if it's The Boys, I, I like that there are all these stories that are being told, superhero stories that are different than what we're used to, because the superhero genre does still allow for some amazing and relatable stories, especially if they're aimed at a more mature audience. It's not all just for kids. So you can be a grown-up and enjoy the traditional ones, or you can watch these ones that are more violent, more mature, and uh, get just as much out of this as you would with uh, an elite, acclaimed, Emmy Award-winning drama. And who knows? We might see some of these shows start winning Emmys down the road. But in a moment, we do want to take a quick peek at some of the more traditional superhero fare, because we didn't get to touch on it last week There was a really cool new trailer for Marvel, and Marvel wrapped up 
their second big TV show. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And show number two from the MCU wrapped up this week. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier wrapping up on Disney+. Plus. Maybe I made a mistake. We can't lose this fight. Steve gave you that shield for a reason. We have to end this now. Overall, I enjoyed the show. I don't think I liked it as much as WandaVision, though. I am impressed that they dove headfirst into race relations in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You'd almost think they'd dive headfirst away from it instead of tackling it. Again, like I said last week about Judas and the Black Messiah, the themes and issues are topical, but... Of course, they're always topical, which is the depressing part. And in fact, a lot of the racial stuff in the show is lifted wholesale from the comics. So it's not like the MCU is out there looking for it. I mean, they could ignore it if they wanted to, but it's powerful stuff. And again, I'm impressed that they actually took a shot at it. The Carl Lumbly scenes as Isaiah really worked well. I love him, by the way. He was Dixon on Alias. But I think Sam's big speech at the end in front of the TV camera so everyone in the world could hear, I thought that was a little clunky. They could have made that a little bit more elegant. The real problem in that scene was the costume. I'm not going to go into detail about it. We did see Sam get a new costume from the Wakandans in episode five, but didn't get a look at it. It is unveiled in the finale, of course. And from the neck down, it's fine. And from the neck up, it's the silliest thing I've seen in the MCU, aside from Sam's beard in Endgame. This new headpiece looks like a child's Halloween costume. They just need to fix that. I, I think they will. I know I'm not the only one who didn't like it. I think the show also had too many bad guys. It didn't seem like to know what to do with all of them all the time. Apparently there was a subplot about a virus that they had to cut out for obvious reasons. So I think maybe that's why some of the flag smasher stuff was kind of cloudy a lot of the time. However, I do have faith in the MCU folks. They've proven time and again that they actually learn their lessons and the next time out, the results are better. Remember, this was technically their first TV show that they made, or at least mostly made. It was done before, supposed to come up before WandaVision, so it's really been a bit of a learning curve for the MCU. All things considered, though, pretty impressive, Brett. Yeah, I would agree that it was it was good, not great. I thought that it got off to a great start. I thought that the opening sequence in that first episode was thrilling, and I was hoping to see more of that, and we got some of it as it went along. And uh, like it had its some really great moments throughout, some exciting yeah. moments, but the the end episode just left me kind of deflated, and it, I, it almost felt a little ripped off because I think the whole thing was just a six episode, like the whole thing was engineered to get that character Sam into yeah. the Stars and Stripes. That's what they do, though, right? They they set this stuff up, and it doesn't have necessarily a thrilling conclusion. Instead, the conclusion is just the setup for the next thing that's going to come along, which I mean, that's how comic books work anyways. Right. So it sort of makes sense. So, but it does leave you a little wanting at the end of things. I was really happy though, to see Anthony Mackie, his character, Sam as captain America. I was wondering, are they really not going to do this? Because this is what happens in the comic books and this is what they should do. So, uh, I actually didn't mind the headgear. On the costume. Really? Yeah. Look was... at it again. Look at his ears sticking out of that thing. It looks dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they 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 do the, the like they they try to adapt stuff too close to the Literally. comic book, and it uh, yeah. in this case didn't work. So that's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki starts in just a few weeks' time. But uh, we also were pretty excited about another thing, Jeff. Yeah, we got our first look at a new entry in the MCU called Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I gave you 10 years to live your life. 
did that get you? You walked in my shadow. I trained you. So the most dangerous people in the world couldn't kill you. Son, it's time for you to take your place by my side. Never heard of Shang-Chi before, but I'm excited for it. And let's face it, most of us had never heard of Ant-Man, the Guardians of the Galaxy, or Doctor Strange before, and those movies worked out pretty well. This appears to be about a guy who was raised in some sort of Eastern temple, learning to be a martial arts badass by his dad. And as we heard in the trailer, he's had some time as an adult to live his own life, but now his dad wants to bring him back into the fold. And superhero action ensues. Looks like a lot of punching and kicking and flipping in this one, which is a good thing. And then Aquafina's on board as well as the comic relief. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings scheduled to be released September 3rd. Yeah, this looks fun. The action looks great. And I am curious to see what uh, impact this is going to have internationally as well, right? Like Black Panther was such a massive success, not just in North America, but around the world. So it's nice to see Marvel continuing to add you know, diversity into the MCU and it just looks fun. It looks fun. And like you said, it's kind of nice to, to meet a new character, right? This is a new story that yeah. most of us don't know who he is. So I'm excited for September 3rd. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. Remember if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.